0: Go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and if you don't even have a Bible app on your phone, our app actually has the Bible app embedded into it, and you can pull up the Bible there as well. This Easter morning, we're taking a special look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the message I've titled, A Living Hope. I don't think any of us at any point in our lives have looked around the world and thought, you know what, I think we're doing pretty good on hopefulness. <laughs> I don't think we need any more. I think we've kind of met our, we've, we've kind of like filled the quota there, so to speak, on hope. I think for every generation throughout the course of human history, there's always been that aspect of people being able to look around outside of them or maybe look inwardly in their own lives and think, man, I need some hope. Even when it comes to the things of of death, which affects every person in every culture, in every nation, with every language, there's, there's this desire for hope that is... It's, it crosses every cultural boundary. Every culture needs it. Every people group needs hope. And I was struck with the thought yesterday as I was finishing things up for today that the account, the message of the resurrection of Jesus, that it's been proclaimed for almost 2,000 years now. That's a long time, isn't it? And how over the course of all those years, begin, how many of us would have said, no, that's not very long, Jared. 2,000 years, not very long. That's one of those like, why did I ask that question? Over the course of all those years, beginning with that first Easter Sunday, this message, a message of hope has come to individuals, has come to groups, has come to communities throughout our, our, our entire world who find themselves in hopeless sorts of states and situations and seasons, and how this message, after almost 2,000 years, has not in any way decreased in power to impact and transform the hopelessness of those who hear it, as men and women hear of Jesus and receive Him and the salvation, and the hope that He offers. How this message is able to speak into and be received across cultures and tribes and nations and languages, and how this message about Jesus continues to always be so timely and needed. Anybody have like an older person in their life growing up who maybe told you the same sort of story throughout your life? And at some point, you're like, I've heard that one. Maybe you don't say it because you want to be respectful, but you're, in your mind, you're like, this message was really awesome the first couple times, this story, the first five times even. After the 20th one, I was like, I, don't, I get it. I could actually tell this story to you probably better than you told it to me and maybe the 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 impact of something that we hear when we even when it's something really major when we think of like a war or a terrorist attacks that have happened really terrible things the impact of that thing in the moment it diminishes over time doesn't it the the initial impact of how that Emotionally moves us, it it diminishes over time. But when we think of the gospel message, when we think of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, not one a bit of it ever diminishes in its power and its impact and its transformative work in the lives of the people who hear it. Why? Because it's not like any other story, it's life-giving. It's life-altering. It's eternity-altering. See, there's this inseparable connection of hope when it comes to Jesus rising from the dead almost 2,000 years ago. And for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, the only reason that we have hope today is because Jesus rose from the dead, And because of Jesus' resurrection, we have a living, confident hope. Paul the Apostle had this kind of hope, and he's going to give us some insight into how that hope is possible and who that hope is. We're going to read a chunk of verses, actually quite a few chunks of verses together this morning. We're going to put these on the screen so you you don't have to worry about making it to the next place quick enough, but we're going to... Begin in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, we're going to look at what Paul told the church in Corinth in that portion of Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, Paul speaking, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen by Cephas, this is a reference to the Apostle Peter, then by the Twelve. After that, He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. This is a reference to the believer's death. After that, verse 7, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul reminded the believers in Corinth that he had preached the gospel to them. They had received it. They were standing in it. They were saved by it. But then in verses 3 and 4, he clarifies what that gospel, that good news message was that he had received from the Lord and delivered to them. He said that according to Scripture, Jesus died, He was buried, and that He rose again the third day not only that but after that Jesus uh, but after Jesus rose the the proof of his resurrection was testified to by over 500 eyewitnesses who saw Jesus after he had risen from the grave and that Paul himself saw the resurrected Jesus years later when on the road to Damascus where he was on a mission to persecute and destroy the Christian church but again Paul references the scriptures themselves testifying to Jesus. So let's talk about, let's look at what the scriptures say about Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection. First, we have prophetic passages in the Old Testament, which is primarily what Paul would have been referring to. Passages like Psalm chapter 16, which prophesied that the Messiah would not, or, or sorry, that the Messiah would die but that he would not stay in the grave, but be raised from the dead. Passages like Psalm chapter 22, which give detail about the Messiah's death by crucifixion, hundreds of years before crucifixion was invented, and that prophecy about Jesus given over a thousand years before Jesus was ever even born. Passages like Isaiah chapter 52, verse 13, all the way through the end of chapter 53, that spoke of what the Messiah would endure leading up to the cross and the spiritual reality of what Jesus would endure while upon the cross, and that prophecy by Isaiah coming over 700 years before Jesus was born. We looked at some of these passages on Good Friday. These are only a few of the Old Testament scriptures that speak of Jesus the Messiah's death, His burial, and His resurrection. But we don't just have prophetic Old Testament passages. We also have the New Testament gospel accounts, which were written down for us over 1,900 years ago, which give us all the details surrounding Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so let's look at one of those gospel accounts we're going to put that on the screen for us all. Beginning in Luke chapter 23, verse 33, we're being ushered straight into the scene where Jesus has made his way up to Calvary where he's about to be crucified. Luke 23, 33, and when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, this is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Verse 44, now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, "...into your hands I commit my spirit." Having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, "...certainly this was a righteous man." And the whole crowd who came together to that site, seeing what had been done, beat their breasts and returned. But all his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things." verse 50 Now behold there was a man named Joseph a council member a good and just man he had not consented to their decision indeed he was from Arimathea a city of the Jews who himself also was waiting for the kingdom of God This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus then he took it down wrapped it in linen and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before that day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with Him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how His body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. As we'll see in the next chapter, this was, a, this was not a hopeful scene for Jesus' disciples, Even though Jesus had repeatedly told his disciples that he was going to have to go to Jerusalem, that he'd be crucified there, that he would rise again on the third day, they didn't receive the things that Jesus said because they didn't want to believe that it would actually happen. See, their hope was tied to this ideal that they had built up in their own mind, that Jesus was going to go to Jerusalem, he'd be hailed as the king, he'd bring down the Roman Empire... He'd set up his kingdom there in Jerusalem and that he would reign forever. So when Jesus died, their hope also died. When Jesus was buried, their hope was also buried. But Jesus was going to be faithful to his word. He would not let death defeat him nor let the grave be the end of him. And Sunday was coming. So let's begin reading in verse 1 of Luke 24, as Sunday has now arrived, we're given the details of Jesus' resurrection. Luke 24, verse 1, now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. Notice, they're not coming, there expecting for the tomb to be gone or the, the tomb to be empty. They're just like, let's really make sure that He's buried properly. But they found the stone, verse 2, rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered His words. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. We're going to skip forward in this account a little bit. Past Jesus being with the two men on the road to Emmaus, we're going to pick it up where the the men returned to Jerusalem. Verse 33 of that same chapter, it says, "...so they rose up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, and found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road, and how He was known to them in the breaking of bread." Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, "'Peace to you!' But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, "'Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have.'" When he has said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. just want to pause here for a moment. I want us to think about all that had happened that day. The women coming to the tomb, the tomb being empty. The angels declaring to the women, look, he's not dead, he's risen. Then Peter, seeing the resurrected Jesus then Jesus appearing to the two men on the road to Emmaus, and now Jesus shows up. They're all afraid. They're afraid of the religious leaders. They've holed themselves up in this room. They're there kind of huddled together. They're not really sure what what is going on. They've heard these reports. Jesus shows up, and, and I want us to notice here that even here, they doubted Guys, we can be supplied with all the evidence in the world about the reality of Jesus and still find ourselves in a position where we have some lingering doubts. And I love how Jesus dealt with these disciples. He didn't come in and start slapping them around. I mean, the tomb was empty, I sent the angels. I showed up to Peter, I showed up to the two men on the road to Emmaus, now I'm right in front of you, and you still don't believe that I'm alive? And he just, you know what I mean? Like, Jesus doesn't do that, he's so gracious, he's so patient, he's so merciful, he sees their doubt, and he just goes, I'll give you even more evidence. Behold my hands and my feet. Put your hands. You need to you need to see. And and I think about us, I think about those in this world who it doesn't matter. They can they can hear that Jesus was a historical figure outside of the biblical, biblical accounts. They can believe in all of these other authors who wrote some sort of ancient document and believe that it was attributed to that person, but they can't believe when there's 20,000 plus ancient, reliable manuscripts that all say the same thing about Jesus Christ. We can have all the archeological evidence that we could dig up and we have lots of it that can verify what happened at that point in time and still be at a place where it's like, I just don't know. And to think how Jesus is so gracious with the doubter, with the skeptic. We know Thomas wasn't a part of this initially. Thomas was in another meeting. Jesus later shows up and and he says to Thomas, Thomas, you, you really need to believe? You still don't believe? Put your hands Put your hand in my side where they thrust the spear through. That even this morning that some may be here that that have these lingering doubts about Jesus to know that Jesus cares about you in your doubts. He doesn't discard you in your doubts. He wants to meet you there if you will meet him where he is, which is right in front of you. Verse 44 goes on to say, Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third, third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached. In his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. An important question for us to ask as we consider all of this is why is all of this important in regards to hope? Why is the resurrection of Jesus necessary when it comes to hope? Well, the Apostle Paul is going to speak into these things, resurrection and hope, in the chapter we first looked at in the beginning of our time. And so let's return to that teaching Paul gave in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 22, Paul writing, he says, "'Now if Christ is preached that He has been raised from the dead, "'how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? "'But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. "'And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty,' And your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. It's empty. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Just like in Paul's day, the same is true of our day. There are those who deny there being a resurrection of the dead, deny life after death, deny there being a literal heaven and a literal hell. And Paul reminded the Corinthian believers, and it's still a valid and needed reminder today, that if Christ did not rise from the dead, there is no hope of new life or eternal life for any of us. That if Christ Jesus did not rise, there is no hope. But Jesus did rise from the dead. Prophecy pointed forward to it and foretold it. History preserves it. Over 500 eyewitnesses verified it. Thousands of ancient reliable manuscripts supply us with accurate accounts that Jesus is real. He is God in human flesh. He is the long awaited Messiah. He is the fulfillment of prophecy. He is Savior. He is King. He is Lord. He is our hope. As Paul wrote in those last couple of verses of our passage in 1 Corinthians 15, the first man, Adam, brought death into the world because of sin. But the perfect God-man, Jesus, brought life into the world through what He accomplished in His death, burial, and resurrection. Here's the beauty of the gospel, the good news It's not about what you and I can do. It's not about our righteousness. It's not about how good we've been or think we are. It's not about our church attendance even. None of those things are what gets us into heaven. It's not how a person is saved. It is not how we find acceptance in the eyes of God. No, the gospel is all about what Jesus has done for you and for me. Salvation, eternal life, a personal relationship with Jesus is not something we gain if we're good enough. No, it's something that's given to those who will humble themselves, who will confess that they're sinners in need of salvation, who will repent of their sin. That just means turning away from it, putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, opening their hearts to Him and surrender and inviting Him to be our Lord, the Lord of our lives. See, Jesus' resurrection is His seal of authenticity, of all that He said and did, that all of it is true. A dead Savior is no Savior at all, but a resurrected and living Savior who has ascended back to heaven, been exalted to the right hand of the Father, is a perfect and powerful and trustworthy Savior. Because Jesus is alive, you and I can have a living hope. See, see hope has a name. His name is Jesus. And Jesus has never gone back on his word. He's never failed his word. He's never not made good on one of his promises. And his resurrection is one of those promises. It's what makes every promise he made true for you and for me. Because he has risen, we can trust that he will make good on his promises toward us in this life and for eternity. So my question for us this morning is, where are we at with hope? If hope has a name, if hope is a person, do we have him? Is that hope within us? I'm going to have the worship team come back up as we close here. If you've never surrendered your life to Jesus... And surrender is a good word. Surrender is a good word. You know why? Because in order for him to be Lord, he really needs to be Lord of all. Maybe you have been at a place in your life where you've surrendered a room of your heart to Jesus. Jesus all open the front door, but all the rooms inside are locked. Those things belong to me. Jesus, be Lord of the living room of my life, but don't have the closet, don't have the back bedroom, don't have the man cave, don't have the she shed. (laughs) It's a thing. Surrender. How does Jesus, to be Lord, if we just say, Jesus, just a little bit, Just a little bit. That's not how it works. Look, if you've never surrendered fully your life to Jesus, today is the day of salvation. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Don't wait any longer. He's calling you this morning. Jesus is calling you to come to him, to respond by repenting of your sin. That's not a bad word I know some have made it out to be. It is a beautiful, amazing word. Because we can't grab a hold of Jesus if we're still grabbing a hold of all of our sin. Repentance, turn away. Turn away from the thing that's going to send you to hell. That's not where Jesus wants you. He wants you with Him in heaven for all eternity. If you end up anywhere else, it's because you rejected Him, not because He was unwilling to welcome you in. And this morning, He's giving that invitation. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. If you'll do that, you'll confess your sins to him, if you'll repent of your sins, you'll be saved, you'll be forgiven, you will be given the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that all the old things will pass away, everything will become new, and your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life in heaven, where you will be with him for all eternity. You know, maybe for others, your you know Jesus. You've made that decision for Jesus. There's been a moment of surrender in your life, but you have wandered. You're that prodigal son or daughter. You've strayed. You've been doing your own thing, living your own way, not Jesus's way, your way, caught up with sin, stuck maybe in a place of bondage to your sin. And if that's you, you need to come back, to Jesus. Recommit your life to Him this morning. The the story of the prodigal son makes it very clear that prodigal living isn't the thing that disqualifies us. Like, forget it. If you were a son or daughter in the house and you, you left, like, forget it. That's your thing now. You had your thing. No, the prodigal son or daughter... That whole account just reminds us that the Father's ready to run towards us when we return to welcome you home, to forgive you and restore a right relationship between you and Him that's been broken and damaged because of sin. But it's not enough to know that something is off spiritually in your life. It's not enough to know that you're lost and you need the salvation of Jesus. It's not enough to just know that you've strayed and you need to return. No, the right response is to say, Lord, have me. I want you. And if that's anybody this morning, whether it's you need Jesus for the first time, or you need to return because you've strayed, I'm going to ask you to do something really bold. And I'm going to ask you where you're at. No one's going to look at you anything than just rejoicing that you're making a decision. Would you stand? I know there's some this morning. Come on. Who else? Who else? This is your opportunity. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait. Some of you are thinking like, nah, let me tie up a few things and then I'll get right with Jesus. No, now is the time. Now is the time. Now is the time. And if you're the prodigal and you're thinking, man, like, I don't know that Jesus could forgive me. I've done some some bad things. I've received his forgiveness. And I've basically spit in Jesus' face by my life. You've not done anything that has put you in a place where you're beyond the grace of Jesus Christ. Stand up this morning if that's you and just say, Jesus, I return. I return. Yeah. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for these that have stood. Lord, you know their lives. You've seen every bit of it. You've been waiting. Waiting for this day. Lord, the angels in heaven are rejoicing. Along with us. I just encourage those of you that are standing in your own heart just to to pray a real simple prayer. Just say, Jesus, I am a sinner. Jesus, I need your salvation. Forgive me. Jesus, I repent of my sin, and I turn fully to you in faith. Jesus, I believe you died for me. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the grave. Would you raise me to new life today? Would you seal me with your Holy Spirit? Would you make me a new creation in Christ Jesus? Would you wash away my guilt and my shame and make me new? Jesus, I surrender to you. And I just encourage you, as you've done that, the Bible says you will be saved. Confidence, hope, and Lord, we thank you for these that have made a decision this morning. Lord, we praise you, Lord God, that their eternity has been altered because of the decisions that they made, because Jesus, you rose, Lord, we also will be raised. Lord, we want to respond to your word and songs of praise. Lord, we want to respond by taking the communion elements. Lord, we give you all the rest of our morning. We praise you, Jesus. Thank you for rising from the grave. In Jesus' name, amen. Real quick, before you sit down, those of you that have stood, stay standing if you would. I'm going to ask you to do something with me. I'm going to walk towards the back of the room here where our follow-up team is. They have a Bible for you. They love to pray for you. And so if you would, please follow me over there. The rest of us, we're going to continue in this attitude of worship this morning as we sing these songs of praise. God bless you all.